Despite being one of the most well-documented and discussed periods of history, the true roots of the French Revolution and Napoleonic era remains largely obscured. As this book will make abundantly clear, that is no mere accident. Discover the conspiracy at the heart of one of the bloodiest eras in human history. In Anatomy of a Revolution, the true story of the French Revolution and Napoleonic Wars by Scipio Eruditus. Available exclusively at thefirmamentalpodcast.com. You know something is wrong. You can see it all around you. You're wondering how things got to this point. Good is called evil and evil is called good. You want to truly know why we got to the brink of the abyss? Can't just be told. You must see it for yourself. I'm Scipio Eruditus, and this is Dispatches from Reality. Hello, hello, my dispatchers, my listeners. I am your author, your narrator, your host, Scipio Eruditus. And today we have a bit of a mix-up for you. Uh, We have Dispatches from Reality's first interview. And so I am very excited to be introducing this fellow brother in Christ. He is uh, one of the reasons, actually, that I even got interested in this topic. So it's uh, (laughs) it's definitely no... It's kind of weird, right? You know, coming full circle for me. But um, uh, yeah, I have Joshua Monday on the show, the Christian and Conspiracy podcast. Uh, yeah, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the audience, Josh, and uh, tell them a little bit about yourself. Okay, so uh, Josh Monday, Christian and Conspiracy podcast is the name of the show. Uh, my YouTube is Josh Monday Music and Podcast because I, I have a, I'm a Christian rapper as well. Um, but yeah, just, uh, we, we take a conspiracy and show you how it relates to the Bible. And, uh, this is the one that related most to the Bible. And, uh, as we were praying earlier, we want to worship the creator, not the creation. So that's one thing I like to tell a lot of people that are, that are digging into, uh, flat earth or biblical cosmology to, uh, you know, we need to make sure we're worshiping the creator. I see a lot of, uh, flat earthers out there that, you know, that might not be Christian, that, 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 that's all they post is all flat earth stuff. So, which is no problem. At least they're proving what we're speaking about biblically. But you know, we just want to make sure that we're, we're worshiping God. You know, God is the whole reason why this is here. Romans one twenty says, "Be known by His creation," and uh, you know, that's that's what we love. We love God for everything He does for us. And um, yeah, we're gonna have a great show, man. I already know for sure. I could tell. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that's. Um, I think that's one of the things about this topic that immediately stood out to me. And, you know, I know for a lot of people, why the lie is a really big mental hurdle to get over. And, you know, I'm sure we'll address and talk about that um, in this episode. But, you know, for me, it was it was very evident and clear uh, how powerful of a of a hold that this idea has upon humanity. Um, I had, you know, just for me, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know how you got you know interested in this uh, topic, but I you know, I've studied creationism from a, a literal angle, you know, so I had, you know, debunked evolution and, you know, fossils and a lot of this stuff already, you know, to myself. Um, 
know, I've done that research and, you know, and come to the conclusion, okay, yeah, obviously these people are lying, you know, science, quote unquote, mainstream science. There are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of falsification going on here and you just can't get around that, you know, does that mean everyone's lying? Obviously not, but they're, it's inescapable that some people are lying, uh, which we have a lot of documented proof of. So, yes. Yeah. I guess, I uh, what was it that really, uh, you know, sparked your curiosity in this topic? Well, what happened was uh, Dave Weiss was coming on my show. Uh, I think it was like our fifth episode or something like that, or at 15th. I can't remember what it was, but um, we uh, once I, he was coming on, I wanted to make sure I was biblically sound on the subject. So I, I started uh, checking out if it, if it matches up with the Bible. Um, a long time ago, I ran across Flat Earth, but I didn't really concentrate too much on it because there was so many other things that I was digging into. Um, but I just kind of, it was put it on the back burner. And then once I found out that it, it lines up biblically, um, that's when I was like, okay, I got to take really take a look at this. And uh, so before Dave Weiss came on, I was already uh, already had like a whole sermon put together for Flat Earth, you know. So I I was um, started just digging into it more and more. And I think the most important thing to do when you're when you're a teacher is to go back to the uh, Strong's Concordance and find out what each word says and make sure you're teaching it correctly, which is something I'll, I'll we'll do today. Um, and, and I think that's important. So that's when I really, that was, that was just recently that I kind of just took all the whole sermon that I did. And I just started like basically filtering it through the strongest concordance to make sure we're teaching this correctly and, uh, come to find out it's, it's all exactly correct, man. And there's no way you can, you can, um, you can, uh, misconstrued the words when you look at the Greek and the Hebrew. So it's really interesting, man. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the things actually why the strongest concordance is, started going out of vogue is James Strong was a, you know, a flat earther. He believed in the Hebrew cosmology and, uh, you know, he did some writings on it. And if you, I mean, just if you have any kind of grasp of the ancient Hebrew uh, language, um, it's, I mean, it's evidently clear and I, yeah, we'll get into it, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to start off with this, uh, this Bible verse here. I think a very important Bible verse um, and echoed in a couple places by Jesus. Uh, so, John chapter 3, verse 12, if I've told you earthly things and ye believe it not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? That's awesome. And I'll go over some too, man. Um, we'll go over uh, Romans 10, 17. And that verse, by the way, is that's awesome. I love that. Um, so, we have uh, Romans 10, 17. So, then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, we're going to be going over a lot of verses today. And, uh, you know, us as Christians, no matter if there's science ahead of it or whatever's put in front of it, whether it, you know, man's word, we always, uh, we, we place God first, you know, like, like, uh, just like the heavenly things that you were talking about, that's what we're going to be going over. And we're going to be going over the three heavens. We're going to be going over stuff that, you know, that, that God created through Jesus, right? First Colossians 15, everything's created by him, for him, through him, right? So principalities as well, everything is created through him. So. It's it's really an important thing. Uh, another thing we have is Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. So I'm telling you that you know by hearing the word of God, it produces faith. So it says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So this is the way to seek Him is to learn His word. So we're going to go over that today. Another one we have is. Um, uh, all scriptures inspired by God, right? Second Timothy three sixteen. All scriptures inspired by God. 
Ah, sorry. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, we're going to go over so many different, you know, verses and stuff that, you know, it's inspired by God. And the New Testament wasn't written yet, even though I do believe that the New Testament is obviously inspired by God. But Paul's speaking about the Old Testament. So, um, He's not trying to tell you that, you know, uh, take uh, Genesis as an allegory. He's not trying to say, you know, take the book of Job as just poetry and the book of Psalms. This is all poetry and, you know, take all that, put it in a section of, of uh, a fairy tale. And then the other stuff take, you know, as inspired by God, but all scriptures inspired by God. So definitely an interesting verses here. The other one would be 1 Timothy 6.20. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Because what happens is there's going to be science that's going to test your faith, right? So, uh, as you, I think you were talking about evolution was one of the uh, things that kind of uh, you broke that down, uh, the Big Bang Theory. And then I also believe in uh, also the uh, the heliocentricity. And all three of those is like a, a unscientific... Um, an unholy trinity, you know, uh, a scientific trinity that they have that are in combination that all have to work together for that stuff to be true, right? Yeah, so if you absolutely. believe in one, if you believe in one, uh, technically, scientifically, you you should have to believe in all three. If you don't believe in two, uh, then then the third one doesn't work either. The heliocentricity doesn't work either, which people don't understand. So when you're a Christian and you're out there on on the pulpit and you're and you're like evolution is not true and, and Big Bang is not true. There's no way. And then you start going into that sermon. The one thing you forget to disprove is the heliocentricity, which is hard for people to swallow. And we're going to do that today biblically. So those are my, uh, my, my Bible verses I like to start out with. Um, something I like to do is, is kind of go into like, um, you know, like what science says, you know, if, if you'd like. Do, do you want to go over any other verses before we start? Um. No, yeah, I think you covered a lot of the good ones. The only point I wanted to make is that, uh, yeah, I think this is this is one of the things we really need to, you know, just kind of lay from the outset, right? Is that why so many people are coming to very different conclusions for some of these verses? Uh, you know, uh, I'm sure we're going to go over it. Isaiah forty twenty two. I just mentioned that, you know, and, and discussed that in my essay this week on the circle of the earth. But it is... Scripture tells us how to interpret it, right? And we are told that there are, first of all, in Isaiah, right, line upon line, precept upon precept. So every doctrine of the Bible is built upon not just one verse, it's built upon a variety of verses, right? And so, you know, by the mouth of two or three witnesses is anything established. And so this is how any biblical doctrine, right, you don't just cherry pick a, a verse out and be like, oh, well, this is what it says, right? ignoring all the other verses that talk about it. And likewise, the Bible tells us that there is poetic language, there is allegorical language, right? But there also is literal meanings in, to these things. Uh, so I think also in Hebrews, where, um, or no, excuse me, I think it's in Galatians, right? Galatians chapter 4, where Paul is talking about the earthly Jerusalem and the heavenly Jerusalem, and that, you know, uh, Ishmael and Hagar are a allegory of this. You know, the two children of Abraham, Ishmael and Isaac, are an allegory for the two covenants. And so, I think this is evident throughout the Bible, right? As we look through it, that there are 
you know, as the author of Hebrews states, there are the the shadow of these heavenly things throughout the Old Testament. And so we are told that there is spiritual meanings behind the Bible, right? And that we do need the Holy Spirit as our teacher uh, to uh, to understand some of these deeper meanings, um, some of these spiritual aspects of it. But nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that, you know, there's a very big difference between taking it all literally and taking it seriously. And I do think outside of a very clear textual uh, example, right? So the prophetic books, you know, obviously these things are symbols because even the people who are seeing these visions don't know what they mean. Right, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how any pastor could say, "Well, I, obviously this is a you know four headed monster or whatever." Right, like you know, <laughs> these are these are clearly simple. So um, I think that's one of the very important takeaways from scripture, and you know, I think it's a, a point you raise. And there's just you can't point me to a Bible verse where it says, "Hey, this is poetic, and this is you know this is this, and this is you know this is history, and this is literal, and this is not." There's no Bible verse that states that. Right now, obviously, yeah. there are principles through which we interpret the Bible. But you get, yeah, uh, right? man, you know, there's man nowhere puts, in Genesis that says this is all poetic. For sure. And man puts their own uh, twist on it because what they do is they compromise once it challenges uh, science because they, they don't want to be standing up there on the pulpit uh, challenging uh, the mainstream because it takes the butts out of the seats, you know, when you start talking about stuff like this, you know. And uh, that's something that maybe some of them don't want to do. But the only scripture that I've found uh, that actually goes with the heliocentric model is actually in the Book of Mormon, which is not scripture, right? So, uh, the false prophet Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon, which they're all about having your own planets and everything. Oh, yeah, right? they're very so, big into space. And, and Hellman 12.15 reads, according to his word, I mean, I don't know who his word is, it says, the earth goeth back and appeareth unto man that the sun standeth still, and yeah, behold, it is so, it surely it is the earth that moveth and not the sun. That's the only one you're going to be able to find, mm. and that is going to be in the Book of Mormon, which is obviously, you know, compromising for science because they want to tell you you're going to have your own planet at some point, right? So, they want to make sure that they tell you that. So, it is not his word that the earth goes back and forth. That's 100%, and we're going to get into that for sure. Um, but let's go into, and there is actually a Bible verse that actually says flat earth. It was, uh, it's, it's 2 Samuel 11.11. 11. And uh, it's actually the Great Bible of 1539, uh, and it says the, that the Lord uh, lie upon the flat earth. It says that, right? Um, and and that's what the, that Bible was saying, like the Lord, but he's talking about like uh, my Lord, right? So, mm -hmm. and it also says uh, in in uh, Matthew's Bible of 1537 that that the the Lord lie a tent upon the flat earth. So that's interesting. Someone just sent me that recently. I'm like, okay, they actually said that on in the bible but they took mm -hmm. that out obviously because it once you know 15 uh what was it 1540 is when uh the jesuits were put together i think 1546 is when copernicus came out with this model so all, all the bibles after that you know they end up changing that taking yeah. flat earth out so i think it's really interesting but um so we have that and then um and then if you want to just uh also look into uh numbers in the book of numbers God's talking to uh, Ab Abraham, I'm sorry, talking to um, Aaron and, and Miriam, right? In the book of Numbers, it's, it's verse 12, or it's uh, chapter 12. And he says, I come to prophets in dreams. I come to prophets in visions. But when it comes to Moses, I speak to him mouth to mouth is what mm -hmm. it says in the King James. It says face to face in the, uh, the, the new King James. 
So he speaks to him face to face. So when we go over the book of Genesis, it's it, you know, that's a that's a firsthand account from the most high on how everything was created. Because if you guys notice, Moses was not alive during, you know, the creation. He wasn't alive during Joseph or or Abraham or any of those times. So when God is telling him what to write, uh, inspired by God, he's actually, you know, on, on Mount Sinai for 40, 40 days and 40 nights. So I do believe that Moses would not, is not going to write his own interpretation of how the earth was created. He's going to be taking it from God's mouth, right? And, and exactly what he should be writing. So I think that's something we need, we need to take into account for sure. Yeah, so, amen. Um, yeah, and uh, we should probably just go right into, in, uh, well, we can get into what the scientists say first, just so everybody has a layout of that. Um, so let's go to that real quick. And uh, so as everybody already probably knows, a lot of the, the listeners, because, uh, you know, if, if they, I mean, I don't know how many of them are flat earthers or not, or biblical cosmologists, but um, so the earth, it is actually at a 23.4 degree axis, and it's, uh, it's, it's rotating at a thousand miles an hour. And... Uh, which is which is which sounds crazy, but the the real number that's very interesting to me and and I think is 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 insane. I don't know how people even accept this. They say we we actually are orbiting the sun at sixty six thousand six hundred miles per hour. That's what NASA used to say. Now now <laughs> yeah. they say sixty seven thousand. Yeah, they round up because they're like all the, everybody caught on to that. So yeah. the fastest bullet it travels more than twenty six hundred feet per second, right? So. That's equivalent to over 1,800 miles per hour. So they're basically saying we're going 30 times faster than a bullet around the sun, okay? And we don't feel any of that movement or anything. And another thing that's crazy is we're chasing the sun at 525,000 miles an hour. So as we're orbiting and we're spinning 1,000 miles an hour, we are also uh, basically chasing the sun at 525,000 miles an hour, right? So even that verse that in Hellman 1215, even though they're trying to compromise for science, the sun doesn't stand this still either. If you look at the actual model, mm -hmm. uh, it's actually moving 525,000 miles and we're chasing it. You know, so that verse is actually wrong science-wise too, that the, one, the Book of Mormon one, just, just letting you guys know. So we have that. And then um, another thing is, you know, when there's an earthquake and uh, I live in Rialto, if there's one in Riverside, you know, and the earth moves, we feel it, right? If it shakes, if it, you know, we're going to feel it. So. I don't understand how we're not feeling all these speeds that we're supposedly going, right? Um, yeah, I mean, we're under 18 different vectors at any given time. There is, you know, they'll claim, right, well, you don't, we don't feel any of the motion because there's no uh, change in the orbit, right? It's yeah. a continuous orbit, so you wouldn't feel any changes, which is not true, right? It's an elliptical orbit, so there are portions of the orbit where we would absolutely be slowing down and yep. speeding up. And we'd never exactly. feel any of that, right? And that's just, again, with the speeds you're talking about, even we're a very minute, <laughs> very small yeah. percentage-wise changes, you're going to feel it if it's 525,000 miles or whatever that you're <laughs> hurling through the galaxy. You know, For sure. One of the things that makes this even more untenable just from a you know, logical standpoint is that, again, one of the reasons why we are told we don't feel anything is that we are falling, we're in free fall constantly, right? But we're also in a curved free fall, which means that a real force has to be acting upon you, right? Which you would feel. Yes. <laughs> kind of exactly. hard to get around that one. Yes, sir. And then I like how you explain that. And uh, also the moon orbits the, the earth at 2,200 miles per hour, which is faster than a bullet. So that's another thing. So besides, you know, besides all the other impossibilities it would be for them to land on the moon, can you imagine going out there in space 
And knowing that we're moving 66,600 miles an hour, knowing that the moon is moving faster than a bullet, and you're going to go ahead and try to land on the moon. I mean, that's, first of all, that's crazy. Besides all the heat, the cold, and all the crazy stuff that's coming out there, and, uh, and all the supposed space rocks and all this stuff. So if it were a globe, and we were moving, imagine being those guys and landing on the moon. That, that's just, to me, crazy. Now, on a flat Earth, I, you know, I think if the, the moon is a light. I don't know, man, if they would be able to land on the moon on a flat Earth. Who the heck knows? Yeah. I don't know what the, what the structure of the moon is. I don't claim to. But I'm just letting you guys know, if everything is correct with the, with the Earth, the, the moon landing would be crazy impossible. And, and who would even want to do that? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, even in the heliocentric paradigm, there is a, uh, a mathematical you know, problem. <laughs> it's called the yeah. three-body problem. Yep. And yep. mathematically speaking, it is impossible to solve for an equation where you have three constantly changing variables. So yep. to... For, and you can go and check NASA's, you know, you can go and check their, uh, uh, all their documents, right? So NASA has to choose a reference point to be stationary in all their equations. Otherwise, the math doesn't work out, right? And now they'll yeah. say, oh, well, hey, the math works out. And so, yeah, we fire off rockets. So it all works. That's not <laughs> yeah. that your, your math problems is not reality, right? Because in reality, yeah. the earth is, well, I mean, in reality, the earth actually is standing still, right? Which is why, you know, if, uh, yeah. if they claim that they actually went, it, it, it would only work on a, on a, in a geocentric universe, right? Yeah. And, and when, when, li when lives are on the line, they always use a flat stationary earth, but always, whenever they're trying to explain uh, fairy tale land, then they have a, a, you know, a spinning space ball, you know, so. We have yeah, that, I mean, and then um, yeah, I know oh, you were in the military, but yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was in the Air Force. I mean, I got, I don't know, over five hundred hours, you know, in uh, in various airframes, and I can tell you, not once in any flight manual that I ever saw, or you know, any pilot that I ever talked to, they never accounted for any of these forces, any of these real what physics and what relativity says are real forces, right? So we should be able to feel them, and we should have to account for them, and we don't. And at least, at least we get a, a glimpse of what it is like going Mach 1 uh, in the Air Force and you see some of the pilots actually passing out, you know? So, mm -hmm. we're going like Mach 10 around the, you know, orbiting the sun. I don't know what it is, <laughs> something like that. So, you see what the forces would do to us. Our, our human bodies can't even handle it when you, when you think about it. But that's a good thing you get to see, a for, you know, the forces of, of um, you know, Mach 1, one and a half. Some of the pilots are passing out. It's too hard for them to handle. So, um, we also have the closest star. That's something that we need to understand. They try to tell us in light years because we don't even know what a light year is, but a light year is actually 6 trillion miles away. So the closest star, which is Alpha Centauri supposedly, is actually 24 trillion miles away. So we need to understand that all these distances and everything, I mean, biblically, yeah, they don't make, that doesn't make sense to me. And also, you got to think about how far away that actually is. Um, and then the closest galaxy is uh, supposedly 2.5 million light years away. You'd actually have to take 6.5 trillion and times it by 2.5 million, and that would be your number. Who knows what it is? Okay, it's it's insane. Yeah, they're assuming that space is a medium, uh, a uniform vacuum, so that light travels through it at a uniform speed, which is yes. obviously a giant assumption, right? Since they actually don't know what is billions and trillions of light years away. So we know, depending on what medium light is traveling through, it will travel at you know different speeds. So. Yes, and then uh, we we kind of we kind of uh, already hit on it. Uh, you know the the scientific trinity. They have the Big Bang. Uh, you know which came came from uh, 
George Lamontre, who was a Jesuit-trained priest, right? Father of cosmology, Big Bang Theory and cosmology, right? So we have him. Uh, basically, 13.8 billion years ago is what they say. And what they try to tell us is that the stars came first, then the sun, then the earth. Uh, as we go through the book of Genesis, you'll find out the true creation and how it was. So it's it's totally off, right? So it's the next exactly one, exactly the opposite. Yes, it's inverted, inverted. And then we have evolution, which is uh, Charles Darwin. His grandfather actually came out with uh, with came out with that, and uh, his grand or, or sorry, yeah, his great or his grandfather and his grandfather was actually a thirty three degree Mason. If you look it up, so yep. he's the one that came out with this information, and then Charles Darwin took that information and came out with it, wrote a book on it. And then the third one would be the heliocentric globe, uh, uh, the heliocentric model, I'm sorry, which is uh, going to be uh, Copernicus. And uh, there's actually a Freemason lodge named after him, Copernicus CHP 246. So I think he was a known occultist, but he was also a priest. So we have, uh, and I, I believe he probably became a Jesuit priest because the Jesuits came out in what, 1540? And I think his, his stuff was put out in 1546. So yeah, right the timing is very conspicuous indeed. Very. And it changed everything after that. The, the calendar, it changed all this different stuff. And the Catholic Church was pretty hesitant on putting it out, but they ended up uh, putting it out, you know? And who knows if that history is correct or what, what's going on with all that. But uh, Martin Luther uh, was, was strongly against the heliocentric model. John Calvin also, heliocentric model saying that it's of the devil. It's inverted because they knew the word of God. Josephus was another one that everybody tries to go back to when they're debating. Josephus mm -hmm. was talking about a crystalline firmament, okay? So, they, they, they believed yeah, the Bible. That? <laughs> yeah, they believed the Bible. They, they, the reason why they thought any of that is because they read Genesis and they understood it. But us, we have all these block walls put in between us and God. So, by the time we, we pick up the Bible, you know, we, we, uh, we think that m most of it is allegorical or poetry because there's no way it could be true because science says this. But I think what you, you should do is you should filter science through the Bible, you know, filter it through the Bible and whatever doesn't match, doesn't line up, then, then you know, put it to the side. Especially theoretical claims like they, they put out because all this stuff, even though we don't, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but it's all theoretical because we never actually had an experiment to show the, the, the movement, you know, the orbits or anything like that. There's no experiment that could, um, that could uh, prove that. You know, from I mean, Earth. That's, yeah, that's not like our opinion. That's Einstein's opinion, right? There is no yes. optical experiment that can be performed on Earth to prove that it is in motion, according yes. to his own theory of relativity, right? Yes, yeah, I think exactly. it's, uh, you know, you bring up a really good point, you know, and I'm in agreement, right? I do not think that so-called evidence is what dictates our understanding of the Bible. It's the Bible that understands or that dictates our understanding of reality. And, you know, yeah, that, uh, you know, you mentioned Martin Luther. I have a uh, you know, I, one of my favorite quotes from him, quote, we Christians must be different from the philosophers in the way we think about the causes of these things. And if some are beyond our comprehension, like those before us concerning the waters above the heavens, we must believe them and admit our lack of knowledge rather than either wickedly deny them or presumptuously interpret them in conformity with our understanding. I love that. That's it, man. And that's the way to read the Bible. Is to is is to is to to read it like the unfallible word of God and God trying to show you exactly how He created the earth. If we're reading Genesis, right? So we'll go to Genesis, man, and um, we'll we'll do the New King James. Um, you know, you could go to the CJB, uh, and and whenever they have firmament, it's actually dome. Okay, and the CJB 
the complete Jewish Bible, which I'll probably do that really quick, man, because uh, you'll you'll see, man, they are really trying to get the Hebrew and everything down in in this in the in the in the CJB, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's actually called the Brashit Genesis, right? So we're gonna go over this really quick, so you guys understand word for word what's going on. So I this is what I believe, okay? When God says in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Okay, it says uh, God right here, but I just add Elohim because that's what the real word is. So the heavens is Shemaim, which is plural, and the earth could be land. It could be uh, the foundations of the earth. It could be different things. It's not, it's not the globe. Like everybody sees the earth and they see that word and then boom, they automatically think of the globe. So God could be talking about the land, the foundations of the earth, which I do believe he's talking about. This is my interpretation when he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think he created two heavens. The heavens that he created here would be where the moon, sun, and the stars are located, which would be the first heaven, and then where God's throne is located, which would be the third heaven. And it says, and the earth, which I think he laid the foundations of the earth. The reason why I think that is because in, 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 uh, in Isaiah 40, 22, it does say in the beginning, God laid the foundations of the earth. It also talks about the angels are singing for joy when God laid the foundations yep, of Job the earth in the beginning. Yes. So, uh, and then it says the earth was, was unformed and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. The, the earth was unformed and void because God hasn't created the continents or any of that stuff yet or the oceans. So, th- this is basically just day one, right? And he says that darkness was upon the face of the deep. The deep right there in the Greek is the abuso. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's basically, it's water, right? That's what, Mm -hmm. that's what it's talking about. And the spirit of God hovered over the surface of the water in the, in the King James, it says the face of the water. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good. God divided the light from the darkness. God called the the light day and the darkness he called night. And so the evening and the morning was, was one day, right? So we have that. And it says one day there. Okay. So Day one is what they say in the in the in the in the um in the King James, right? So that's basically that's what that's what it is. It's a day, okay? It's not a thousand years. It's not a billion years. It's anything like that. It's actually one day. And then it says God said, "Let there be a dome in the middle of the water. Let it divide the water from the water." Right? So we have a dome or a firmament. It says in the King James, uh, in the middle of the water to divide the water from the water. That has to be solid. Uh, the word for dome or firmament is actually rakia, and it's solid, beaten out. It's actually, uh, it, and it actually says in the um, in the Strong's Concordance, the Hebrews believed it was solid, separating the waters from the waters. If the Hebrews believe that, don't you think we should believe that? You know, well, I mean, I think the really good question is why would they believe that? Right? <laughs> they believe yeah. it because that is that is when you look at the totality of the Old Testament. That's really the only conclusion you can come away with, right? I think the ferment's probably, for me, I think scripturally speaking, the most rock solid of, um, you know, any of these, uh, I guess any of the physical dimensions that the Bible talks about, right? Because, you know, I know some people say, oh, the circle of the earth actually, you know, it's just, uh, it's a representation of what we would see from space or whatever, you know, it's the outline. I disagree with that, obviously. Um, but. People make those assumptions, right? And those conclusions. I don't know how you can make those assumptions with the firmament. You know, uh, the firmament is, we're told very specifically uh, in Genesis chapter 1, 14, that the sun, the moon, and the stars are all inside of the firmament. 
Uh, we're told in Psalm 140, uh, verse 8, that the waters above have been established forever, right? And so I know the canopy theory is one of these big, you know, it's one of the popular theories, uh, even though scientifically it's like very problematic, honestly. Yeah, uh, it is. Know, 100%. We, uh, yeah, we would have overheated and died if, if, there, uh, if the globe, quote unquote, was actually covered in a ball of ice or water vapor or whatever have you. That, you know, a lot of, I know the modern creationists and, you know, I think they're doing a, uh, they're doing a noble thing, right? They're trying to, they are trying to take God's word seriously and they're trying to mash it up with what they think is the actual evidence. Uh, but, you know, the problem is they don't, they don't really have to do that because the evidence is just not, the evidence is not, not nearly as strong as they actually think it is, you know? And, yeah. um, the firm is really just one that I don't, yeah, I don't understand how, how we can kind of get around this one, right? It says, in multiple places that it's been established forever. Uh, clearly, you know, Josephus talks about it. Um, you know, other ancient Jewish writers talk about it. Uh, they conceived of our cosmos in a very specific manner because that is what God was describing. Yes. And uh, so we have, and, and for time constraint, we'll just go through the days now. So we got day one, heavens and the earth, and he created light. Day two, he created the firmament to separate the waters from the waters, which is the waters from above from the waters below. Day three, he created the oceans, dry land, plants, and vegetation, um, which now you know the continents are there. Now, the dry land is basically the continents. I think in the beginning, he laid the foundations, which is below. He created shield, the abyss where the fallen angels are going to be locked in right on day one, mm -hmm. and also light. And, and water was already there. That's the interesting part. I, do, I don't know when he created water, but it seems like water was there. And then he created these things and he had to separate the water from the water. So I believe water was created probably first. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. we have that. And then, uh, and then he says that. And then on day four, God created the moon, sun, and the stars also. And he, and he placed them in the firmament, which is like inside the firmament. Like I'm standing in the room. They're in the firmament. That's why the moon, sun, and the stars move in the firmament. So I think that's really interesting. Um, and then uh, so we have that. And then also the the whole orbiting and all that stuff comes into contention already on the you know the first four days because you have the the moon. I mean the earth created first, right? And uh, everything is made for us by you know by Jesus through Jesus for Jesus. You know God made it through the Word, right? So He created it like that. And the crazy thing is. Is if everything was the earth was created first, the heavens were created already, which is where the moon, sun, and the stars are located, and then God's throne, and then God called the firmament heaven. So that's the second heaven, mm -hmm. right? So that's in between God. So now we have waters above, we have God's throne, and then on day four, he created the moon, sun, and the stars also, and placed him in the firmament. He calls the 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 moon uh, the greater he, call, he calls the sun the greater light to rule the day, and he calls the moon the lesser light to rule the night. So there's two great lights, right? So that's another thing we need to look into. Science says something different. We believe that the earth, uh, I mean, that the moon is a light and the sun is a light. And, um, you know, if you do science experiments, you'll find out that the, that the shade is actually uh, warmer in the, in the moonlight than it is in the actual moonlight. So that's another thing that's pretty interesting. But we have that. And then uh, so the, the orbiting comes into contention. And another thing we're going we're gonna to have come in contention is some of these verses that talked about a fixed earth. Uh, we have uh, Zechariah 1, 11, uh, through 12. It says, and they answered the angel of the Lord, and not, not a angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord, which I think is interesting. Some people believe that's actually Jesus, which is like the messenger of the Lord. 
But I'm just letting you guys know that. And it says that stood among the myrtle trees and said, we have walked to and fro through the earth and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. So that's one verse. First Chronicles 1630, he has fixed the earth firm and immovable. Psalms 93.1, that was fixed the earth immovable and firm. Psalms 96.10, he has fixed the earth firm and immovable. Psalms 104.5 says, thou was fixed the earth on the foundation so it cannot be shaken. And then Isaiah 45.18, who made the earth and fastened it and fixed itself fast. So there's that. And then, uh, you know, there's actually several other verses, but for time constraint, you know, all you need is these, because like, you know, two witnesses, you know, we got all these different, this is like six verses right here that just line up perfectly. Um, so we have that. And then um, another thing that we need to understand, any questions on anything we've gone over so far, anything you want to mention before I jump to the next uh, subject? No, no, I think it's, uh, I mean, you're hitting a lot of the major points, you know, and I think, um, you know, I just wanted to, to state that it's what, you know, biblical cosmologists or those of us who believe in a uh in the ancient cosmology um you know what i believe the bible is describing the true cosmology we are often accused of right just taking these verses out of context but you can go look at all those verses in context and over and over and over again the earth is consistently described as firm and immovable um and it is very hard for me personally to consistently rationalize these descriptions in historical books, in the poetic quote-unquote books, right? <laughs> um, uh, all over the Bible, we are consistently told of very specific physical dimensions, characteristics, and yeah, I just don't, I don't know how or by what rationalization, I mean, I understand how, right? Because the science has dictated that we must interpret these things in this light. Uh, because the science, you know, we can't, we can't go against the science. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I just don't, you know, I'm not going to wickedly deny or presumptuously assume that we understand some of these things. Because obviously, you know, I think that's one of the things too, is that once we have, uh, once we have disproven one of the major claims, right? Like, you know, sphericity or movement or what have you, this is, I mean, there's just, Really, I mean, that's kind of it, right? <laughs> you know, once you've disproved one of the central claims, I don't then have to go and prove every little minutia of how they've yeah. lied about all these things or be able to explain all these things, right? Now, I'm, um, I think for all of us, you know, um, there are a lot of things we can't understand and science has been just so, you know, I'm talking about like real science, actual experimentation has been so just... I mean, like retarded, you know, not, not like in the, this is stupid, but like retarded in the, like, this has been <laughs> stopped. Right. And this has been armed, honestly, by so much of the fairy tales of theory, you know, relativity and whatnot, and just a removal from any of the actual scientific experimentation that so much of the building blocks of, you know, our knowledge was built upon. And so yes. I think yeah, that's, uh, as soon as they, as soon as they, they, it's unproven, then they just create something else like dark matter uh, just to make it proven, right? 96% of, uh, of the supposed universe is, is dark matter now because we're only 4% right, right? So, oh, consistent. And, they admit and that's that one of the things too about all these, you know, the proofs, quote unquote, right? Is consistently they will expect, you know, they will hypothesize, all right, our formulas, our knowledge, right? It will dictate we should get this, you know, result. And almost always is wrong. Right? Yes. So when they looked out into the stars, they should have found way more matter. They were missing ninety six percent of it. Instead yeah. of being like, "Wow, 
maybe we're wrong and we need to think our theory through again. And so it's like, oh, well, you know what? There just must be, you know, all all the matter in the universe just must be invisible (laughs) (laughs) because otherwise our model doesn't work. Yeah, so they they won't they will just compromise and say that. Yeah. So you know, likewise, right, they so, did the same exact thing with the uh, the Cavendish experiment, right? Which is, this is one of the famous experiments that we use to you know that's commonly thrown out there. It says, "Oh, this is what we proved to use that mass attracts mass," and the Cavendish experiment was way off from their calculations. And so what <laughs> what did they do? They're like, oh well, you know what? The Earth's core must be iron, and that's why <laughs> our gravity calculations were off because actually the Earth is way heavier than we thought. <laughs> Yeah, so they're guessing, and then we've only gone eight miles down, so they have no idea what it actually is. And really, it's shield is in the earth. That's what's in the earth. And I'm not saying it's in the core of the earth or the middle of, but I'm not saying it's a globe, but I'm saying like down mm-hmm. underneath us, the Bible talks about shield. I mean, it's the bottomless pit, right? <laughs> yeah. And we forget about that. You know, like a lot of Christians forget about that. If I ask them where hell is located, they're like, another dimension, or where's heaven located? Another dimension, because they don't understand the cosmology that God speaks in the Bible. So, Let's uh let's go over what the sun and moon are moving, which uh the Bible speaks about, which is very interesting. So first off, I think a great verse to go over is Psalms 19 verses 1 through 6. Now this verse, Psalms 19:1 is actually on Warner von Braun's tombstone. Uh he was a program manager, NASA engineering program manager, chief architect for the Apollo Saturn 5 rocket, right? Uh you notice how it says Apollo Saturn 5, uh which is crazy. Um so it says, now, if you say that the firmament does not exist, what I'm telling you is you're denying the glory of God and God's handiwork. And in the Strong's Concordance, if you look up the word handiwork, it's God's achievement, right? So, what it says here is, on Psalms 19.1, is the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So, the firmament, the rakia, showeth his, uh, God's achievement. So if you're trying to say the firmament doesn't exist or the firmament's not important or why would who cares about cosmology, right here in Psalms 19.1, it tells you how important it is because it says that the heavens, which is where the moon, sun, and the stars are located, and God's throne, they're speaking of the heavens, plural, and then the firmament, which is the second heaven is what they're talking about too, and it showeth his handiwork, right? So, and then it says, day unto day uttereth speech, the night unto to, uh, night showeth the knowledge, there's no speech nor language which their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world and, and hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. Okay, a tabernacle is a tent. So what do the tents look like back in the days? They were actually shaped like a dome. So we have that. And then another one, uh, Joshua ten twelve through 14, which is a really famous one that everyone goes over. It says, then spoke Joshua to the Lord in the day which the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of the Israel, sun standst uh, thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and hast not go down, or come forth, uh, or, or go away from about a whole day. And there is no day like that before it or after it, that the Lord hearketh in the voice of the man for the Lord fought for Israel. So we have that. And then, uh, so the sun stood still and the moon stood still in two geographical locations. And when you look up the word sun or you look up the word moon, there's no possible way you could ever get earth from that. Okay. Everybody tries to say that the earth stood still. Uh, that is, there's no way, man. You look up sun, it says sun, 
sunrise, sun as an object, uh, all, all about the sun. And if you look up the word moon, it's all just about the moon. So they're not trying to interpret anything about this, the earth standing still, which a lot of people try to say happened, which would be insane as well. Okay. Think about all the, the, me the measurements and crazy miles per hour we were talking about when we first started the podcast about what, how fast we're supposedly going. So yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, and then another one, uh, if you look up uh, Habakkuk, it, it actually talks about, um, so you, you need two witnesses in the Bible, right? This, is, this event, um, God actually says in, the, in, the, in uh, Joshua, if you go to 1015, he says that this event never will happen again. Like it never happens mm. again. So, and, and it never did happen. So Habakkuk 311 is also talking about this event. Because it never happened again. So Habakkuk has to be speaking of the book of Joshua. It says, The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At, at light of thine arrows they went, and at the shining of the glittering spears. So Habakkuk is the second witness to this in the Bible. If you go to the book of Jasher, which I'm, I'm not saying that that's going to be scripture, because I know that some people feel like, you know, it, it was, you know, what wasn't the original mm -hmm. uh, thing. But I'm just letting you know that the book of Jasher also says that. And he's actually, Josh is referring you to the book of Jasher. So obviously that's pretty interesting. But so we, we would have three witnesses of Jasher's scripture, but we have two witnesses, which is all we need. Habakkuk 3.11, the sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. Not talking about the earth standing still and the moon standing still and the sun standing still, which is what would have to happen. It just says the moon and the sun stood still in two geographical locations. You don't get any better than that, you know? Yeah, and I think one of the... Uh... You know, one of the big things too is that for those uh, who, uh, you know, on the heliocentric side of this debate is that, you know, what we are told is that, oh, well, this is just all from our perspective, right? And God's just telling us, uh, you know, because you know, this is the only way we can understand our feeble little minds. <laughs> there is, I mean, we're told, right, to pray for specific things. And so, yes. and God answers specific prayers. And so, when Joshua specifically prays, Sun, stand still. Moon, stand still. And we are giving physical locations for even where the sun and the moon stood still, right? We're giving physical locations of where these are. And that is, that's the, a specific answer to a specific prayer, you know? And I think it's, Amen. this is, it's one of those things where it's just, oh, well, you know, I have a really hard time kind of rationalizing this, this belief, right? This presumption. That, oh, God's just explaining things to us in a manner that we can understand. I mean, that's a very specific physical claim, right? That the sun stopped here, the moon stopped here. And think about what we're saying when we say that God, you think God is ever going to compromise for man? Never. That does not happen. He's not going to lie to compromise for man. What he's going to do, I mean, or else if God was compromising for man, he would be like, you know, he would he would be telling you, it's okay for you to uh, have sex without marriage. It's okay for you to do this. No, God is not going to compromise for us because he had a blank slate. So when he explained to Moses how he created the earth, there was a blank slate. They didn't know. They were just taking it from God's word. So God didn't have to lie, compromise for man, and he would never, like God is not going to compromise and lie or else his whole creation would be based on a lie. So how the heck would we ever he would know at this point, we would find out the true nature of the universe, and then everybody would think he was lying. So this is not what God would do. What, what, what's really happening is philosophy and theories are challenging God's word, and we're over here as Christians believing uh, man 
And it says in the Bible, let God be true and every man a liar. This is super, this is, this is exactly true because where do we go for information on creation? We go to God's word. Where do you go for information on salvation? You go to God's word. Do you ever go to an atheist and ask him about salvation? No. So I suggest you don't go to an atheist and ask him about creation. It's the same thing. So people just don't seem to realize that. But we also have the sun moving backwards 10 degrees in the book of Isaiah so that you mm-hmm. guys know. That is, uh, and, and uh, this is Isaiah 38, verses 7 through 8. And this is the sign from you, from the Lord, and the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Behold, I will bring the shadow of the sundial, which has gone down or go away from with the sun on the sundial of, ha- of Haz. I'm adding that part so you guys know. When it says gone down, it means to go forth or going away from. Um, and it says, then the sun of the sundial of Haz 10 degree backwards. So the sun returned 10 degrees on the dial by which it had gone down. What is a sundial? Well, it's a clock in the sky. That's what it is. You know, when, uh, when God created the moon, sun, and the stars, he says that it's basically for signs, for seasons, um, right? For days and for years. So it's a, it's a, it's a clock in the sky, basically. So, um, and uh, also what I like to go to is the verses we were speaking of, Genesis 1 through 14 and 19, which is important for people that don't understand cosmology. Uh, It says, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs, for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven and give light upon the earth. We'll stop right there. So God put moon, sun and the stars in the firmament, right? And he made them to light up the earth. He didn't make them to light up uh, all these different galaxies and all this different stuff. He made it to light up the earth. He also differentiates between a sun and a star. Even though scientists tries to tell you that the stars are, are actually the same as the sun, and there's, and there's planets orbiting the 200 billion stars in our supposed galaxy, God says that he created these to light up the earth. He made it special for us, you know? And he created them to light up the earth for us. So I think it's amazing, man. And then uh, it also says, and God made two great lights, a greater light to rule the day, lesser light to rule the night, which we kind of went over. He made the stars also, and God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. He said it twice there. And to rule over the day and over the night to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good. And the evening and morning were the fourth day. So I think that's really important to do. And um, as we spoke about uh, already, the moon is a light and the sun is a light. Psalms 136, 7 through 9 talks about the, the, uh, the, the moon and the sun are a light. Uh, Ezekiel 32, 7, uh, it says, and um, it says, and I shall put thee out. I will cover the heaven and make the stars thereof dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon shall not give her light. So the moon gives a light and the sun gives a light. So it, yeah, it gets consistently, really consistently. The moon has talked about giving its own light. And that was one of the, that was one of the first things I was like, okay, well, this should be real easy to prove, right? Is that if the moon <laughs> is giving its own light, it'll be different in physical characteristics from sunlight. And yes. that's precisely <laughs> moonlight is colder than sunlight, right? Exactly. And, uh, yeah, honestly, I um, I mean, obviously, we talked about the three-body problem and why in heliocentrism, it's impossible for us to have landed on the moon, just mathematically speaking, that's kind of inescapable. And there's no computer that when you put the three-body b- problem into a computer, it cannot uh, fix that that equation that you're talking about. Oh, so. the Chinese, they're, uh, the Chinese have been running these simulations on supercomputers for like the past 20 years now and they still haven't been able to to solve it or figure it out um there's theoretical proofs that are put forward right but they're exactly that theoretical 
Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, the moon's a very interesting one, honestly, a very interesting one. The uh, the more and more I've you know kind of been studying it and and researching it, I'm I think I am even more unsure now <laughs> what it actually is, right? Because it's uh, yes, you know, one of the proofs that is often given for why we landed on the moon is that you can reflect lasers off the moon. Except yep. MIT was bouncing lasers off the moon in 1962 before the Russians ever went, allegedly before we ever went, allegedly. Uh, you know, you can bounce radio waves off of the moon. I don't know if you knew this, but you can use the moon as a radio relay. You can have, com I mean, you can have conversations with people, right? I mean, this is like a, you're getting near specular reflections off of the yeah. moon surface, which should not be possible. I mean, you can only get specular reflections on a smooth and even surface. You cannot get it on, you know, a rocky, craggy surface, which is what they claim the moon surface is. And yeah, it's a... Uh, and then how fast, how far would we have moved uh, if shooting at 238,000 miles, if it's supposedly that, we, we would have to, we would already have spinned already a certain amount and we'd also have orbited a certain, so it's just, it gets interesting. Yeah, that's another that good stuff. point too. Yeah. With all the motion of the bodies and stuff, how are you even getting <laughs> relay signal signals, back? Right. Yeah. <laughs> they say that they sent the signal to the sun also like ham radio to the sun and, and, and then we got it back and it takes like 17 seconds to come 93 million miles and. We've already moved like, uh, you know, however many miles in that 17 seconds. I think oh, we moved the sun measurements like 18 even to more. 20 miles or something. Yeah. Yeah. So. The sun measurement's even more ridiculous, right? Because they, they claim also that the sun is a black body, which means yeah. it absorbs all light. A microwave is a light, right? It's on the EMS spectrum. It's not visible light, but it's still light. So how are you <laughs> measuring the sun's distance with microwaves when you also claim that the sun absorbs all light? Yes. And they forget <laughs> about the movements to add in there too, you know? So, yeah. um, so we also have Job 25, five, even the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight. So we have that. Um, and it's talking about like the end times and then, uh, Isaiah 13, 10, where the stars of heaven and the constellation will not give their light. The, the sun will be darkened. It's going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine. So we have that. So it's talking about the moon having a light, the sun having a light. That's, that's like, that's like five or six verses right there we've gone over. There's even more uh, time constraint-wise. We can't go into all of them. But we'll talk about the, the one of the things that separate you know cosmology 100%. We'll talk about the firmament now. I think that's uh, definitely um, something we need to get into uh, because that's, that separates you know, cosmologies by, by far when you find out what the firmament is. So, mm -hmm. um, so we'll go into that. Um, Rakia, where's it at? I have a... Have it in the strong concordance here somewhere. Here we go. Um, so Rakia was hold on. Where's my notes? I got it pulled up here. Okay, Rakia yeah, from the uh strong's concordance. Uh the first definition here is an expanse, flat as base or support, and then the second definition, firmament uh, of the vault of heaven supporting waters above, and then that note by uh Mr. Strong. Uh, considered by Hebrews as solid and supporting waters above. Yeah, they considered it because that's what the Bible says. <laughs> yes. So extended service and it says expanse, but next to it in parentheses says flat as base support. What is it supporting? The waters above. So when they use the word expanse, they're not trying to they're they're trying to use it as if it's space. But the way that uh, you know, like you said, James Strong was trying to put this is it's actually solid supporting the waters above. Okay, the vault of heaven supporting waters above. I think that's really interesting. So we have that, right? So let's let's kind of go into some verses that kind of back that up, the supporting the waters above. 
So Job 37, 18, it says, Hast thou him spread out the sky, which is strong as a molten looking glass? So um, if you look at that word strong, it's stout, mighty, strong, firm, hard. That's what it's talking about the sky being hard, solid. Okay, that, that, that separates us from what the cosmology is currently saying. Proverbs 8, 27 through 29, which I think is an interesting verse. I think it actually puts a lot of this stuff into context. It says, when he established the heavens, I, wisdom, was there. When he drew a circle upon the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above. Look at the word firm. It's the same thing. Strong, alert, brave, stout, hard, solid. Okay, so firm means solid. So the skies are solid. Talking about the firmament, all right? When the fountains and springs of the deep were broken, fixed, and strong, when he set the sea its boundaries so the waters would not transgress, uh, his, uh, the boundaries were set by his command when he marketh out the foundations of the earth. Think about that. The waters cannot transgress uh, you know, through the boundaries. So the boundaries that were set could be the Antarctica around the circle so that the oceans cannot, that's, that's the boundaries of the oceans. I think that's really interesting that he says that. And then his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth. So, um, like I said, if you go to the Strong's Concordance, when it talks about firm, it's, you know, it's, you can't get a different word than that than solid and, and, and strong, okay? Now, let's go over the fact that the firmament connects to the earth, okay? Here's some, here's some interesting stuff. So, Joel 2.10, uh, it says that the earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw from their shining. So, when the earth shakes, it talks about the heaven also trembling as well, hmm, because it's connected by a firmament, and there's waters above, and then God's throne above that. So it is connected there. Um, we have, uh, uh, we also have, uh, you know, when you go over like Amos nine six. Uh, if you guys look up that verse, I think it's interesting because um, it's talking about, um, you know, God walking above the heavens, and then and then if you look up the NASB, it's talking about He placed the vaulted dome over the earth. So I think that's really interesting. Um, the way the way that's connected. Uh, that was together. Amos six nine. Uh, I think it's Amos, is it 6-9? I'm sorry, let me go to, I think it's 9-6, Amos 9-6. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. My dyslexia. It's, it's, oh, no problem, no problem. It's Amos 9-6, I was just trying to look for the verse. I have it in my other notes. I switched between two different notes, guys, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to, uh, uh, because I have the strong concordance on one, I should probably just put them together, it might be better to do. Um, but uh, let's go over that really quick, because what, that word vaulted dome, just letting you guys know, when it says that, uh, it's, it's actually talking about binding heaven to the earth. That's what that word is there. So if hmm. it's binding heaven to the earth, uh, that vaulted dome is speaking of the firmament. So that's, what's interesting because that's what binds heaven to the earth. Um, that's, that's why when it talks about, um, all right, here we go. Amos nine, six, the one who builds his upper, upper chambers in the heavens and has founded his vaulted dome over the earth. He who calls the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth, the Lord is his name. So look up the Amos 9.6 in the NASB. Even if you look up it in the King James, it's going to say troops instead of vaulted dome. Mm -hmm. But if you look at what that word means in the uh, in the Strong's Concordance, it actually says it, that it, it, it's what binds heaven to the earth. So the vaulted dome is what binds heaven to the earth. 
I think that's that's why it's good to go back to the Strong's Concordance to find out exactly what it means. And then if you look up like in the AMP, it's it's talking about the firmament of heaven is what vaulted dome means. So it actually tells you right there that's what it means. So I think that's interesting. That's yeah, and I why, think that's one of the reasons why I really, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, uh, that's one of the reasons why I really uh, prefer the 1611 personally for my Bible study because the translators for these kinds of, uh, you know, these uh, tricky words and tricky, uh, you know, uh, somewhat opaque uh translations right the translators will put you know other definitions or they will put you know oh, it could have been translated this way right or it means this they will clarify some of these uh some of what admittedly are you know more opaque um and that's one of the things i love about the the 1611 you know is that uh you know any of the italicized words in there the translators you know have added that because it's not in the original language, so we can understand it in ours, um, you know, so it'll flow. Yeah. Obviously, there's grammar differences between languages, but uh, yeah, I think that's one of the big reasons why, uh, you know, 1611, despite some of, uh, despite uh, the difficulty modern readers might have in uh, reading it for studying the word is just uh, really unparalleled, in my opinion. Yes, and, th- and then going back and finding out what these words mean is, is really important. Absolutely, so, yeah. And, and um, that's why I believe... Isaiah forty twenty two, which is the verse that you were talking about, uh, forty twenty one to twenty two. Uh, we're going to read that really quick. This is why it talks about him sitting upon the circle of the earth. I'll, I'll go over it right now. It says Isaiah forty twenty one through twenty two. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? So we'll stop there. That's why in the beginning he laid the foundations of the earth. That's why mm-hmm. it says that. Right? And it says, it is he, speaking of the Most High, who sits upon the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Now, I know you could go over this verse, Mike, because you said you wrote a whole thing on it. I just want to go over this real quick. It says, it is he who sits upon the circle of the earth. How is he sitting upon the circle of the earth? Well, He has his throne above the firmament, and below him is the firmament, which is binding heaven to the earth, and he's looking down on us like grasshoppers, and and, and he's called the Most High for a reason. Isaiah says Most High a lot in in, in the book of Isaiah, because he's at the highest part of creation. Nobody's higher than him. Isaiah 14 is talking about Satan trying to be like God, uh, you know, and and it's talking about how I will be like the Most High. Like the Most High. Above the stars, because God's throne is above the the moon, sun, and the stars. That's why it says that uh, it doesn't say He could be above the Most High because He knows He can't. There's only the highest point of creation is basically where the where God's throne is located. Below that is the waters. Below that is the firmament. Below that is the earth, and the moon, sun, and the stars are in that firmament. So I just think it's interesting how it says it is He who sits upon the circle of the earth. The circle that means that the firmament is connecting to a circle. Okay, that's what that means. So I think that gets interesting. And um, and also he looks down at us like grasshoppers and he stretches out the heavens like a curtain. But then the tent is the firmament. It says spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. The tent is also the tabernacle, same thing spoken in Psalms 19, 1 through 6. So what do you think? You can go over that too, man. I know you said he wrote an article on yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. So this is one of the <laughs> admittedly controversial uh verses and you know one of the big sticking points i think between the two uh the two camps of creationism and if you go and 
And again, this is why the strong concordance is so important. This is why uh, the understanding, not just, you know, uh, understanding the, the base languages that uh, these texts uh, came from is so crucial. Um, because you do miss a, you can miss context and you can misconstrue things, right? Uh, if you are missing some of that context. And so Isaiah 40.22, that verse or circle in Isaiah means circle, right? It means uh, it's referring to a vault or a compass, the horizon, right? And so the co- a compass is not talking you know, about the navigation tool, it's talking about the mathematical tool, which you would use to draw a circle, right? That's what the compass uh, that's being referred to here, uh, that Hebrew word, um, it's a kug for circle. And so, importantly, Isaiah knows what a ball is, right? Since he uses it like 18 verses or 18 chapters earlier in verse, uh, or in chapter 22. Yes. He knows what a ball is. He knows it's Isaiah twenty two eighteen. for those that want to know what that is. Yep. There you go. The Isaiah twenty two eighteen. he knows what a ball is. He knows what that shape is. He could have used that word to describe the earth, but he does not. He talks about the circle of the earth. And obviously, once again, alluding to the tabernacle, um, yeah, unfortunately, some of these writings have been lost to time, but Eusebius in his, uh, you know, history of the church talks about some of the early church fathers. Now, he disagrees with them, but he talks about some of the early church fathers who had the same exact belief, right? By looking at the scriptures, they believed that we were living, that the ferment was, uh, you know, the same shape as the, the tabernacle, right? And that, mm-hmm. you know, like Hebrew says, we are given physical representations of the heavenly things. And so, this is a... Uh, you know, there is a heavenly tabernacle, right? And so, yeah, the, the symbolism of the, the temple and, you know, some of the, you know, the brazen sea, I know is one, I'm, <laughs> that one I've, uh, yeah, I'll, I'm definitely going to be writing on that one soon, but it's a, uh, there's so much symbolism, right? When you, when you take this principle from Hebrews, that these physical things in the Old Testament are heavenly representations, uh, it is, man, it's really fascinating. It's really fascinating. And yeah, there's so much symbolism within that temple, you know? And yes, pairing that back to creation, you know, it's very, it's very, very fascinating. And then also when I speak to somebody and I debate somebody, what they try to tell me is that the firmament is on the outside of the universe. But what you guys got to understand, it says is he who sitteth upon the circle of the earth. Okay. And when it talks about the vaulted dome, it's connected to the earth. It's what binds heaven to the earth. So it's not about him being outside of the entire universe. And if we were spinning and and orbiting, then God's throne would actually be getting further and further and further away if that was the case, because it says that it's an ever-expanding universe. The the firmament is a physical object, so it would actually be moving further and further away. And I believe that's what science is doing to us right now, is making God get further and further and further away. But this verse is talking about God being close. Uh, and him actually looking at us like grasshoppers. So I think that gets interesting. And I can also correlate what I'm saying by saying that Isaiah 66, verse 1, thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So uh, where's the house that will uh, that you will build me and where's the place at my rest? So heaven is my throne, which I talked about uh, God's throne is above the firmament, and, and, and it's the very top heaven, right? And he says that the earth is my footstool. 
He doesn't say that the planets, the stars, and, and, the, and the universe is his footstool. It says the earth is his footstool because the firmament is connected to the earth. There's water above that. Then there's God's throne. So he's actually, the earth is his footstool because he's standing literally on the earth. You know, it, not, not on the earth, but it's connected to above the earth. The so earth it's basically, yeah. If that makes sense, above the earth. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's, there's another verse in Psalms that makes this even more explicit, right? Psalms 29.10. The Lord sitteth upon the flood. Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. And we are told specifically multiple times that the Lord's throne is at the highest point of creation. It's above the waters, right? He sitteth upon the flood. Yes. So if he's sitting above the waters above, we are told in multiple places, but you know, uh, in Genesis chapter 8, and then also here in Psalm 29, that one of the sources of the flood is these waters above, right? And they're shut off. At, you know, oh, yeah. Uh, they're shut one off of the and sources, they, can't, yeah. they can't pass that... Uh, so Genesis chapter eight, right? The flood chapter, and then uh, Psalms twenty nine ten. Yes. Yeah, so if you guys look at that, uh, we'll talk about the flood really quick because uh, we're talking about the firmament. So it says the windows of it, it basically says that the that the bounds of the great deep were broken, right? So water came from below. It also says that the windows of heaven were open, heaven being the firmament. So water came in from the heavens, and it also rained forty days and forty nights. And as you keep reading. It actually, when 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 God wanted to stop the waters, He said that the windows of heaven were closed. Uh, it stopped raining for you know, and then also that He closed the fountains of the great deep. So there's three separate events there that that happened, and three separate events that closed it up so that the, the flood stopped happening. So when whenever a pastor tries to tell you that the reason why the earth flooded is because it rained for forty days and forty nights, it just rained here for three days straight in, in Rialto, and it's not flooded like that. So we got to understand that when God talks about the windows of heaven were open, it's like a fishbowl. It's an enclosure. It's just talked about in Enoch uh, 89. It's an enclosure that, that, that the water from above came in. It came from the fountains of the great deep, and it also rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Something that I never hear, I've never heard one pastor ever say that, that there's three separate events. I've never heard him say that. I've always heard him say that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And maybe the fountains of the great deep were broken, but they're not talking about the windows of heaven being open and water coming from the firmament, right? That's something they don't say. And all it would have to do was fill this enclosure or fishbowl or however you want to put it. And, and that's it. The water just has to fill up the fishbowl if, if Antarctica is the furthest part. And let's say that the, the, the dome or the, or the firmament connects to Antarctica, the water just has to get above Antarctica and above Mount Everest and above the highest elevation and the, and the whole entire earth will be flooded. If you try to talk about it on a ball, it just it, it just is totally different. What's the windows of heaven on a, on a globe? What is that? You know, I mean, where are the, the waters above? Where are the waters above in the heliocentric model, right? So that they oh, could man. be, so that they could flood the earth in this manner. Well, they're outside of the universe. <laughs> There's water outside of the universe. Even scientists say that today. I mean, dude, come on, are you kidding me, dude? Like, like what? If there's three heavens. Right? That's what it says in 2 Corinthians, right? That's what Paul's talking about. If there's three heavens, the first heaven would have to be where the moon, sun, and the stars are located. The second heaven, which God says in Genesis 1-6, is the firmament. God called the firmament heaven, and then the third heaven would be where God's throne is located. So, that's one question I always ask people when I'm debating them. How many heavens are there? They'll say three. We'll name those heavens. What they'll try to tell me is, the first heaven is where the blue, uh, you know, where the blue goes with the with the with the the, the black skies, the, yeah. the atmosphere is the first. The second is where the moon and the stars are located. The third is where God's throne is located. I'll ask them, okay, 
What does it say on Genesis 1-6? It says that the firmament is heaven. So that has to be one of the heavens. And they keep avoiding it, avoiding it. Well, the well, heaven, say the heaven, firmament is space, right? <laughs> even, they'll, though nothing, they'll say, even though space doesn't conform with any of the descriptions of it. Some of them try to be halfway like, well, the thing is that firmament is actually outside of the universe. And that, so that would be four heavens. And that, then they get, they get mixed up because they're trying to stick with the text, but at the same time, stick with the science, which you can't do, man. It doesn't go together. So th that's when it gets really interesting. But so we have that. And Isaiah 14, uh, the one that we talked about, 13 through 15, for it, it does say, I will ascend into heaven. I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. That's what I, we were talking about. Mm hmm. It also says, I will also sit on the Mount of Congregation on the farthest sides of the north. That's interesting. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Okay. But it says, yet you shall be uh, brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. So it's talking about the cosmology here, you know, even in this verse. It says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. Ascending into heaven... Uh, exalting your throne above the stars, it means that God's throne is above the firmament and above the stars, right? So we have that. And also the farthest sides of the north, we believe that, you know, if there is a dome, I believe that God's throne is probably located in the north, in the middle. That's why maybe you see aurora lights. I don't know. That's just, it's interesting stuff. But, you know, so it, it would probably be in the, in the middle, right? So that's why it says that he, he goes to the north, the farthest sides of the north, probably. Um, that's just a speculation, but you know, so it gets interesting, man. Yeah, that's interesting. So we have that. And then uh, God's watching down on us like grasshoppers. Ezekiel 126 is talking about, um, it says, and above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as appearance of a man above upon it. So it's got the cherubim below the firmament, uh, which is talked about in uh, um, Ezekiel 10.1. Uh, the cherubims, it says this in Ezekiel 10.1. Then I looked and behold, in the firmament was above the head of the cherubims that appeared uh, over over them as it was sapphire stone as the appearance of the likeness of a throne. So as uh, Ezekiel's looking through the firmament, he's seeing the likeness of a throne. So that's why you know God's throne is above the firmament. Also, all the other verses that we went through that kind of connects that together. Um, so we have that. And also sapphire. I think I, when I was looking up sapphire stone, that could be the blue. That could be the uh, the green aurora lights. That could be, we're not sure exactly what that is, but most of the time when they're talking about God's throne, they keep talking about sapphire. Uh, it's spoken about in Exodus uh, 24, 9 through 11. It talks about, it was paved work of sapphire stone when they when they saw God's feet. So yeah, Mount that, Sinai. Yeah, Mount Sinai. So I think that gets interesting. Not sure how we connect that. I think that sapphire could be any color but red, I hear um, so, you know, it could be green, could be blue. We don't know. But, um, and then uh, in the book of Daniel, I think, I think it's interesting too, when it talks about like, you know, when Michael came and, and they were fighting the Prince of Persia, the, the, mm -hmm. the prayer didn't get answered to 21 days. So you got to understand between earth and heaven is where the moon, sun, and the stars are located. And there's a firmament. So I do believe that the angels are having spiritual battles in, in where the moon, sun, and the stars are located. And, and they're fighting to get your prayer answered. It talks about it right here, dude, in the book of Daniel, uh, that, that he had to fight against the prince of Persia. He had to call on Michael, the archangels, for him to be able to get this prayer answered. It takes 21 days. We got Daniel sitting there waiting for the prayer to get answered. Like, what's going on? Because we're impatient. And there's an angel fighting against another angel just to make the prayer get known and come back. It's it just... Just a lot of stuff is happening. And then also in Ephesians 6, uh, 12, it talks about uh, principalities in high places. 
Where what what's the highest place you could be is God's throne. What's below that? The firmament. Below that is where the moon, sun, and the stars are located. So I think these principalities are in high places. I think where the moon, sun, and the stars are located. Also, the Bible talks a lot about stars being angels, angels being stars, you know, or as every single star and angel. I don't know, but I just think it's really crazy how they reference that a lot and how yes, the stars are going to fall. Consistently described in scripture, uh, you know, stars as angels, right? Yeah, that was my, uh, my first biblical cosmology essay I did. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a, I mean, very, very evident when you kind of piece it all together, right? Um, Judges 5.5. Is one of the big verses uh, that I like to quote, quote and point at, right? That the stars fought in their courses against mm. Sisera. So <laughs> these the stars, right, are angels, obviously, since we are told throughout the rest of Scripture. Revelation chapter one also tells us that the stars are angels. And yeah, how are the stars fighting, right? <laughs> if they're yes. not actually spiritual beings, which you know, I, I, this is uh, speculation, admittedly, but. I think one of the really interesting things, if the ferment is made out of water, if it is, you know, quite literally the waters above, then sound traveling through light, or sound traveling through water, rather, can create light. And so I think what we're actually seeing up there, you know, the stars, that light, is the angels worshiping the Lord. And Oof. it is their worship yeah. that literally yeah. lights up, you know, the earth. Yes. And uh, you, you see the, the frequencies of these stars and everything, like the way they're moving and stuff. Uh, if you look at them through a, a P900 camera or P1000, whatever it's called, um, you know, you see them moving and who knows, man. And, and I'm not into frequency and all that crazy stuff, but there is a frequency when the sound happens. So maybe that is happening. They're singing, they're cheering. Yep. God so no luminescence. And, yeah. So yeah, there you go. So it gets really interesting, man. Um, and then also we have, um, uh, we have, Ezekiel 8, uh, 3, it says, He stretched out the form of a hand and took me up by a lock of my hair, and the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the north. Another mention of the north, gate of the inner court where, he, where, where the seat of jealousy was, which provokes to jealousy. So, he's talking about, okay, he's talking about he lifted me up between the earth and heaven. Why? Because... God's throne is above the firmament, right? I have to answer it. I have to say it again. And God's throne is it, there's 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 basically between Earth and heaven. It's not between Earth and all these galaxies and all these universes and all this stuff. It's just between Earth and heaven. It's real simple. Uh, we also have uh, Revelation four six. It says this is like a glimpse into heaven. It says and before the throne was a sea of glass unto crystal. And the midst of the throne, around about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before behind. Okay, so is there a third? Is there a, like a uh, is the sea of crystal like maybe another firmament, which is like where the waters are below it? I don't know, but mm -hmm. it does talk about a sea of crystal glass, and it and also in Revelation it talks about the people that didn't take the mark of the beast standing on that sea of glass. Um, in Revelation, it talks about hearing waters in the heavens. It talks about hearing thunder. It talks about seeing a rainbow which means that water has to be up there. So there's a lot of interesting stuff, man, in the Bible we got to look into and just be like, wow. So he's literally the most high. In Luke one twenty eight. it talks about uh, that the angels talk to Mary and says that God is the highest, okay? It doesn't just say the most high, but he's the highest. He is. He's the highest on the, you know, commander in chief and everything, you know, like if you want to put it that way, like he's the highest in, in the order, but he's also literally at the highest point of creation. So it's it's interesting. 
Indeed. Um, if you want to talk about, you know, something scientific or what, what happened here, we could talk about Operation Fishbowl, uh, or you could talk about like um Operation Dominique. Um actually uh there's a there's a shirt that my buddy uh came out with this the fittest flat earther. It's like uh, it says uh, research operation fishbowl. You guys should check out his stuff. He's really interesting. Yeah, on, he's uh, been on, on the experimental. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's cool. I'm just saying he has a cool shirt that I that actually I, I can't show right now because we're not on video, but I was going to show it to you guys. But anyways, so we have that. So Operation Fishbowl, and I'm not getting paid to say that. I just throw that out there because I love the guy. So we got Operation Fishbowl. Uh, it was actually a, a high altitude nuclear test in 1962, which were carried out by the United States as part of a larger Operation Dominique nuclear test program. Flight test vehicles were designed and manufactured by ABCO, whatever. So we got uh, Dominique, right? It was called Dominique Chama is what was what the original one was called. And Dominique in Latin means belonging to the Lord. And then Chama means fixed shell. So we have a fixed shell belonging <laughs> to the Lord that they're taking a Thor missile and trying to break the firmament, right? That's what I think they were trying to do. So if you guys look into that and also fishbowl, is basically glass with land. So that would be a flat land with glass, and then you'd have a hole in the top of the glass. That's what a fishbowl is. So that's what they were trying to do, literally blow a hole in the firmament. And I think that it's interesting. People can laugh all they want, but think about how that is connected. I mean, there's so many government documents, actually, that talk about this, right? So this is you know, one of the crazy things that it's just we have so many, I mean, not just American government, you know, like Russians, the Chinese, it is uh, obviously, if this were actually the truth, right, then the governments would know this. They would have to know this, right? And so, in which they do, right? Since we can see from their own documents, they talk about it, they admit to it. It's, uh, yeah, I kind of have my own, you know, theories on nukes uh, <laughs> that they, I've discussed well, yeah. about before, but, um, they have, but yeah, it they is fascinating. They have to know how high the firmament is also because if there were nukes and they wanted to shoot missiles from one side of America to Russia, mm -hmm. they don't want to waste it by hitting the firmament. So they also, besides the fact they're trying to blow a hole in it, maybe, whatever they want to try to do, but uh, besides that, they're trying to see how high it is because if they're shooting a missile from one country to the other, they don't want to shoot it into the firmament. No. Also, they're trying to launch rockets, supposedly. Which I think they do at ARC whenever they shoot rockets, right? You can visibly to, see that, yeah. You can see that, so they don't want to hit the firmament either because then everyone's going to do, well, what the heck was that? What did it run into, right? So we have that. And then, um, so I think they're trying to, there's a few things they were trying to do. And it also was right there in that time, 1962, basically 1958, Operation High Jump. They go over to Antarctica. They find out that the dome is there, I believe. And then they're like, all right. Let's put out uh, a hollow earth uh, journal so that they think that it was hollow earth. Take the mm -hmm. path of flat earth way off. And, uh, and then you got 1962. We got NASA forming. We got all this different stuff happening. And, and you know what? If you look into NASA, and, and I did look up the word NASA, uh, it, it is the word beguiled uh, in the Hebrew. So NASA means beguiled, which is the same thing they did in Genesis 3.15 or Genesis 3.13 when, when, when Satan beguiled Eve. So that is true. And if you look up NASA, you're going to find out that every single, uh, you know, it's all started by Jack Parsons, all occult people, uh, Warner Von Braun at the time, you know, he came over from uh, Operation Paperclip. He, he creates the Saturn V. I mean, we literal have Artemis. Satanist, we have yeah. <laughs> yeah, literal Satanists. So if you're a Christian, you need to understand something, okay? When you look up that word NASA, N-A-S-A, or Nasha is how it's pronounced in Hebrew, it actually means beguiled, right? So we have that. And then I was kind of looking up like, well, 
Um, let's see who they're giving homage. Who do they pay homage to? If you look up that the, the all their missions and all their uh, the rockets, uh, we have uh, they're giving homage to Saturn. They're giving uh, homage to Apollo. They're giving homage to Artemis. They're giving homage to Arius, which is the which is the moon, which is the uh, Mars. You know, God. There's all these different. Um, uh, where's it at? I have I have kind of a nice little list put together just to show you guys. Um, one thing that we like to do is. Um, is uh, wh- why are we ever going to believe uh, something that has all these different, uh, you know, all these different um, homages to other gods? Us as Christians, when we see a music video, when we see like uh, whatever Taylor Swift, and then she's playing homage to Apollo, we start doing breakdown videos, but we forget that NASA is doing that and every single mission that they have, you know? If you look up all the rockets, I, I can't find the list because I'm keep going through different notes. But what I was going to tell you guys is all the rockets and everything are are all basically uh, most of them are, are are for a different god. Yeah, they're uh, all named after Roman and Greek gods. You know, um, there you, you go. Know, there you the go. smattering of uh, the Titan. They have the Titan, Norse, which is yeah. like the Nephilim and and yeah, Artemis and all these different things, man. So it gets really interesting, man. Oh yeah, that's it. I mean that's a topic I've uh, not specifically the uh, you know the occult. Uh, um underpinnings of the entire uh you know space missions but uh in regards to the government conducting mass rituals uh, i mean that's not even uh, really not even debatable honestly when you look at uh, the history of these events um and you know 9-11 being a perfect example um you know probably one of the most successful uh, i think the nuclear tests were another in this mold and absolutely the space race was right um you look at the the dates and that the space race was launched that falls in, um, oh man, I forget the name of the, uh, I think it's one of the festivals to Osiris, right? Ah, During that time period. Um, obviously, you have all the symbolism of it. And, you know, one of the things that I look back on now, right, is just so insidious and really just like stabbing, you know, poking the eye to, uh, to Christians and to the Lord is that throughout all these space missions, you know, the astronauts are reading from Genesis reading from the bible i think it's a apollo 8 is that they're they're circling the moon allegedly on december 25th and they're reading from genesis right i mean it's just yeah it's you look back on it now and you're like man that's just clearly clearly using the word of god not just to you know to disrespect it but also you know i believe to to kind of suck you know so at that time which was still a, a fairly christian nation you know to kind of anesthetize them to uh what was going on here even though they're Freemasons, you know, they're reading the book of God, they're reading that, you know, the, the uh, they're reading uh, God's word. And then people are, that are Christian are getting sucked into the reeling them in. Like, look what they're talking yep. about the creation. Oh my gosh. Did you, did you think these Christians would lie? They're reading the Bible. Yeah, yeah dude. Exactly, man. So it's, it's like a big middle finger to God. So, and uh, it says the firmament show with his handiwork, right? So the firmament, I mean, come on guys. It, it's just, it's right there. So. Um, and then also, uh, which way is up on the on the Earth? If it's orbiting, moving, spinning, we don't even know which way is up. We know there's a down, but which it's way is relative. up? So yeah, it's relative. <laughs> so when when Paul talks about going up to the third heaven, or we have like Jesus saying that he descends into the Earth, which is going down, and ascends to heaven. Um, which way is he going up? Is he does he need to wait for the Earth to spin before he goes up, or is he going to go down? What's going to happen there? Uh, we have uh, uh, yeah. Thanks for Jesus already solved the three body problem, so you don't have to worry about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and then another thing about the firmament, it actually talks about in Revelation that uh, God uh, pulls back the the heavens like a scroll, opens them up, 
and then Jesus comes in on a cloud, right? So he's I think he's pulling the the firmament open like a scroll and Jesus comes in. That's pretty easy to see. And every eye will see, you know, it's pretty easy in the in this cosmology to 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 see that. But other people uh, they're not going to be able to see that when it comes to the the globe. There's, that's it, it doesn't even make sense. So we also have uh, Jesus uh, when he was baptized. I, that's why I think God is closer because you can actually it says and Jesus when he was baptized went up. Uh, this is uh, Matthew three sixteen. It says and Jesus when he was baptized went up uh, out of the water and lo the heavens were open unto him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning upon him and lo a voice from heaven saying this is my son who I am well pleased. Uh, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 17 also says the same thing. This is my beloved son who I am well pleased. So God is closer. He's not trillions upon trillions upon trillions of miles away like they're trying to place him. So I think that gets interesting. We talked about every eye will see in Revelation. Uh, we kind of already spoke about the um, about the uh, the flood, which I think is amazing. Um, we already talked about, uh, okay, one thing we talked about stars being maybe angels. Uh, here's Mark 13, verses 24 through 25. It says, but in those days after the tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. When Jesus was on the earth, he cannot sin. He never sinned, right? So he's not going to lie. So he talks about the stars from heaven are going to fall, and the moon shall not give her light. Two things that, that, that would be insane, in the, in not the, the moon part, but the stars falling from heaven. If all the stars fell from heaven on this earth and the, and the heliocentric model was true, there's that's bigger problems to worry about than the Antichrist. I'll, I'll quote. I mean, uh, yeah, the gravity just from you know, one of the stars might have to start ripping us apart. Yeah, it'd be insane. So all the stars are going to fall from heaven. The powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. So I think that's interesting. Um, and also, uh, Revelation is another one where they're talking about the stars falling from heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Revelation so we have chapter that. 12. Yep, and we talked about Genesis. Uh, we talked about the flood early, so we went over that. What else do we have? Um, uh, yeah, so I think the best way to connect all this together is, um, you know, this is, uh, you know, basically the Second Thessalonians two eleven, and for this God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. So I don't know if the globe is that strong delusion. I don't know if it's going to get even more crazy. It could be the alien invasion that keep people keep talking about. Well, yep, just read about that topic too, actually. <laughs> yeah. So if you think about it, they're uh, they're they are trying to set something massive up, and they want you to believe that they came from other galaxies and other planets and all this other stuff. That's that's mumbo jumbo, you know. So we just need to think about this. Um, Everything kind of connects to like a six 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 when it comes to the uh, the heliocentric uh, and and the and the globe Earth. Um, we'll go over all those really quick. I, I don't have all of them listed, but I have a good amount of them listed. So it says uh, every one mile is eight inches squared of curvature. So if you if you look at it, it's eight inches per mile squared. Sorry. And then if you look at it, if you took eight, you divide it by twelve, it's point six six of a foot. So that's if one mile. If you go ten miles, it's going to be sixty six point six of a foot. If you go a hundred miles, it's six thousand six hundred sixty six of a foot. Interesting. Also, uh, we're orbiting the sun at sixty six thousand six hundred miles per hour. The Earth's circumference is six hundred times six times six nautical miles. Uh, If you take 23.4, subtract it from 90 degrees, you get 66.6 degrees. Isaac Newton came up with his theory of gravity when he first started writing it in 1666. Uh, The force of gravity on Earth is 666 newtons. The speed of sound is 666 knots. 
Uh, the diameter of the moon is 6 times 6 times 60. The distance of the moon is 6 times 60 times 666. Uh, the Arctic and Antarctic Circle is 66.6 degrees north latitude, 66.6 degrees south latitude. And the surface of Uranus, not Mayanus, is negative 6 times 6 <laughs> times 6 degrees. So that's uh, Rob Skiba and a bunch of other people put all that information yeah. together. And I, and I just like to present that at the very end to wrap it up like a bow. Another thing we need to understand, Genesis 2, verses 1 through 4. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of heaven were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. That God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because it is he that rested all of his work, which had created and made. So, this is telling you here that the heavens are done. It's not ever expanding. God has said it's finished, and he's the one that made it. Okay, not evolution, not Big Bang, not heliocentricity. God made it, and we need to appreciate what God made because he made it for us, created the moon, sun, and the stars for us to light up the earth. Everything was created for us. We're special. We're not, like they try to tell you, we're not just some uh, slime coming out of the, the mud and, and evolving from bacteria into this, and then we're not part of a, we're not like, our ancestors are not like a cherry tree, okay? That, all that stuff is it's crazy, man, so <laughs> you guys can look into that. So, um, so we have that. And um, another thing that I think is really important is, uh, you know, planets before we end planets. Okay. Uh, Jude talks about them being wandering stars in the Greek. That's what planets means. Planets. Yeah. That Greek word planetos. Planetos. So yeah. So we need to understand that uh, they're going to be judged. It actually talks about in the book of Jude. So it's interesting. So and then uh, 82 as well. Yep. Last but not least, we have uh, do not worship the created, but worship the creator. All the flat earthers out there, be careful. There's a lot of new age uh, and a lot of teachings where they want to teach you that you're going to be reincarnated and you're going to be this, you're going to be that. Uh, you know, let's worship the real true creator, Yahweh and Jesus Christ, his son, man. And, and um, you know, that's what I think is most important. We want to take all these uh, Bible verses and lead you to Jesus, right? And the way you do that is you wrap it up with First uh, Colossians 15, uh, which we could do really quick. Um, I'll pull it up real fast because. This is uh, why it's important for us to understand, um, uh, you know, who it's created through, uh, why it's created and everything, man, and why it's important. Uh, First Colossians 15, go to that really quick. Or sorry, yeah, Col Colossians 1.15. All right, so we have, uh, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Firstborn is actually like he's the highest uh, of creation. Not, not it's a title, not like a, a the title thing. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body of the church, who is in the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in all things, he may have the preeminence. Uh, so understand this talking about he's the image of the invisible God. We're made in God's image. So we're actually made in, uh, you know, Jesus or Yeshua, the Mashiach's image. I think that's interesting. It's all made by him, for him, through him, right? Because God used the word to create it and Jesus is the word. So we need to understand that. But everything needs to lead you into salvation. That's what we want to lead you into uh, before we end the podcast. And I just want to say thank you so much for having me, bro. Thank you. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh yeah, it's been a tour de force. I think um <laughs> I think we covered a lot of 
very important topics. I think we've answered a lot of the criticisms that are frequently thrown our way. And, you know, that is really what it's all about, honestly. And that's why, you know, I think this this issue was so like it just jumped out at right? I mean, when I yep. was first exposed to this, it I don't know, it just like it all clicked and it all made sense. And I immediately understood. I was like, oh, well, obviously, obviously they would work so hard covering up these things, creating all these fictions, right? And, you know, just to go back to an earlier point you made, right? This unholy trinity of scientism, the Big Bang, evolution, heliocentrism. So much of our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, the Orthodox ones that still believe in the Bible, that still believe it's the inerrant and perfect and preserved word of God, they will not believe with it. You know, they will they will denounce evolution, obviously, as a t- satanic deception. And they will yeah. denounce the Big Bang, obviously, as a satanic deception. And yet the third one, it's like, you know, we just, we accept it and we move past it. And That's I why think, it seems like it could be the strong delusion. <laughs> it could be, man. You know, I, I look at it now and it's, I just, there is, there's just so much that we have taken for granted, honestly, within the church. And we've separated ourselves so far from, you know, from actual sola scriptura. And we have allowed these doctrines of men to creep into our churches. I mean, it's not, you know, over centuries, right? This is not just like a new thing. This is not, right. We didn't just wake up yesterday and this stuff started happening. This has been a, a very slow process for hundreds of years. And so I think, um, really I'm just, uh, very blessed, uh, that you, uh, came on to this podcast. I'm great. Uh, you know, very grateful, uh, for this conversation and that the Lord, you know, allowed our, our schedules to, uh, to work out here. And yeah, that's, you know, likewise, that's what, you know, this is really what this entire conversation is, is all about here is that it is to point back towards the creator uh, that is God, that is Jesus Christ. And uh, that all of this was made by him and for him and through him. And that we were lovingly placed at the center of his creation precisely to demonstrate, you know, how much love that he does have for us. And I, you know, you look at the rest of scripture and I mean, a creator that literally was willing to come down to earth and suffer the most horrific indignities for us. And yet, you know, he was willing to become that intimate with us, that he has suffered everything we, we have suffered. He knows our temptations. And yet, we are supposed to believe that he created a universe where we are impersonal and we are, yeah. you know, we are separated from him by, you know, unforeseen distances that we can't even calculate or fathom in our rational mind. I have a very hard time reconciling that version of creation with the god that i know yes sir that's why it's all atheists pressing this stuff and pushing it and and uh like i said romans 3 4 says for for god forbid yeah let god be true and every man a liar so that's what we have to do man and um yeah and uh even us man if you guys just research this stuff you know research it everything we said look at the strong concordance make sure that we're we're, we're teaching it correctly and uh, thank you so much for having me, bro. It was a blessing. And, uh, you know, and I think that your, your show is going to do great. And I'm glad Firmamental, shout out to the Firmamental po- podcast for for uh, for connecting us together, bro. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, just um, yeah, if you got any last words or, you know, uh, send everyone to talk about your links again, right? Um, yeah, so yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be uh, Josh Monday Christian and Conspiracy Podcast on like Spotify, Apple, or all the the links. And if you look it up on YouTube, it's going to be uh, Josh Monday 
music and podcast. Like I said, I got music on there uh, from, from you know, it's from like three or four years ago, but, you know, I still have it posted on there. And then I have uh, a bunch of podcasts. I think I have 164 episodes now uh, and where we talk about everything from secret societies to, you know, we, we basically take a, 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 we take a conspiracy, show you how it relates to the Bible, or we talk straight Christian talk, or we straight or conspiracy, we go all over mm-hmm. the place. So check it out and uh, please enjoy it. And also give a five-star review to this gentleman for his show. And because uh, it's it's tough to do this, man. It's five o'clock in the morning here. It's eight o'clock in the morning there. We're taking our time out. We're trying to do our best to explain the Bible to you guys. And you know, it, the best, the, 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 the coolest thing that you could do, we're not asking for money ever or anything like that, but just if you could just, uh, you know, give him a five-star review and share this podcast uh, if you can and, and his sub stack and everything that he has going. Uh, you know, support what he's doing because he's uh, obviously he's breaking down the truth for you. And I think it's amazing stuff. So thank you for having me, brother. Hey, thank you for coming. Uh, and you're welcome anytime, brother. And yeah, definitely, uh, definitely going to have to set up another deep dive into some other of these topics because I know you're big on the, uh, you know, the giants and the Nephilim. There's, I mean, there's a, a ton of great Bible topics we could talk about and discuss. So for sure. Well, I'll be on anytime, bro. Just let me know and I got this for you. Okay. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. So, yeah, I wanted to uh, end off our discussion here with, uh, you know, just a little bit of scripture before I let uh, the listeners go here. The first epistle to Timothy, chapter 6, verses 20 through 21. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. God bless everyone. Take care.